Sure. You guys just lead me into what you need, and I'll be happy to accommodate you the best I can. Okay, super. Thank you. Are we all set, Beth, Veronica? Yeah, I'm all, I'm all set. Okay, super. So, with that being said, five. Four. Four. Three. Two. And one. one. Hello, world, is a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Welcome back to the Happy Hour. My name is David Oze, and I'm at MetalDave01 on Twitter.com. And I'm joined, as always, by Beth. Hello. I'm at H-I-V-E-R-H-U-I-T on Twitter. And Veronica. Hello. I am at C-H-I-L-E underscore Pepper on Twitter. And this is the Happy Hour at HappyHour on Twitter.com as well as you all know. Now, uh, there's plenty to talk about with the Habs uh, presently. Uh, we have uh, three games to talk about in the past week, uh, not a winning record, and it's starting to get really, really to crunch time uh, in regards to the rest of the season. But more importantly uh, than the games and uh, some of the other things that we can talk about is, of course, uh, the passing of the late and great Henri Richard, who... Uh, who uh, passed on uh, this past Friday, uh, March 6th, um, to talk about him in a better capacity than I could, we have ourselves a guest, uh, NHL historian Dave Stubbs is with us. Dave, uh, please uh, say hello. Good evening, and thank you uh, thank you all for having me. Delight to delight to join you for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and we are absolutely thank you. pleased and thank thrilled. Thank you to have you uh with us tonight and um as i just uh, mentioned uh one of the one of the main reasons that we have uh you on is that well uh, when it comes to the nhl hockey and essentially the uh the uh, le canadien in general you are an expert mr Stubbs. so um if you wouldn't <laughs> mind uh tell us uh how the city is uh how the city is taking uh the passing of uh, richard well, I, I guess those of us who have known Ari for a number of years and we've known of his situation for a number of years, it wasn't a terrible surprise. Uh, Ari had uh, been locked uh, in the vice grip of Alzheimer's disease for about the past six, seven years, and his health had uh, gradually declined to the degree that he was uh, not very mobile. He was not getting out very much. He was uh, living in a care home in Laval, north of Montreal, just around the corner almost from where he and his wife, uh, Lise, had lived for years and years and years. So it was, uh, it was a sad, uh, sad finish uh, to Ari's uh, great life. But that said, um, it probably is a bit of a relief to everyone knowing that he is out of the discomfort that he was in. Um, it was uh, not a, a pleasant time. Uh, his family was basically dropping in on him every single day, and uh, the, the recognition was less and less as the days went by. So uh, Ari leaves a great legacy in the city of Montreal. He will be, um, he will be celebrated by the Canadians on Tuesday night when the, when the Habs are home to the Nashville Predators, and the, the Habs will do their usual very, very nice, tasteful job of recognizing a great champion. So it's, um, I, I don't want to say bittersweet, that's probably even the wrong word, because there's nothing sweet about losing someone, but mm-hmm. the sweet part of it, I suppose, would be that um, Ari's passing has engaged a lot of us to uh, remember him, 
to discuss him, uh, as was the case with Jean Beliveau. Anyone who ever came in contact with Henri has stories that they're relating, they're, uh, they're enjoying uh, sharing the moments that they would have spent with him, and uh, that's been very nice. It's been incredibly gratifying to the family. I spoke with uh, one of Henri's sons, uh, Denny Richard, a couple nights ago, actually the night uh, of the day that, that Henri passed, and uh, he said the family was very surprised. They were overjoyed and quite overwhelmed by the reaction and the support coming from so many different people from literally around the world. So that's the nice part about all of it. So we uh, we look at another great champion from the Montreal Canadiens. When you're part of a very big family, as the Canadians are, uh, and you lose uh, you lose another member of that family, you know that uh, when you're in a large family, you will lose family members uh, more than, than you would from a small family. So... He's yet another a great champion who has left us, but uh, he will be remembered fondly and will be remembered forever uh, by the Montreal Canadiens family and by many people far beyond it. Absolutely, um, and in in particular, uh, you know, it's great to hear that the the family is getting the support that they are getting. Um, I believe that there was an article uh, posted by the Habs at some point uh, during the past week where uh, that uh, was uh, was mentioned, but being able to to hear about it and uh you know how um how thankful they are it's it's good and having uh people being able to to mourn and as you say also remember and celebrate uh the the tremendous life on the ice and off the ice uh that Henri uh was able to you know was able to uh, do and accomplish in his life is uh is really good almost second to none and it's uh he's a legend among legends when it comes to the Habs and the NHL, mm-hmm. <laughs> in general. Yeah, well, nobody's going to hit his record. Ari's eleventh Stanley Cup champion the championships are a record that will will never be touched. Uh, anything that I write for the National Hockey League, we have to qualify it. We say will likely never be eclipsed, but no, this this record will stand forever. Um, you have to understand that Ari came into the into the NHL in 1955-56. In the first five years that he played in the NHL, uh, he won the Stanley Cup. Uh, he actually prolonged the career of his brother, the great uh, Maurice Rocket Richard, was probably close to retiring in the mid-1950s. And when his younger brother Ari came in and joined the team, he decided to stay for a year and just sort of take him under his wing while they won the Stanley Cup in 56 and then they won it again in 57, 58, 59 and 60 for that fabulous unprecedented run of five consecutive championships. So uh, Ari prolonged um, the Rockets career and you know it, it's funny they um, these these two gentlemen they were almost 15 years apart. Uh, Ari mm. was six years old uh, still living at home, obviously, when uh, when the Rockets set off uh, and joined the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, Ari spent, um, when literally at the age of six, I mean, was squeezed between his parents in seats at the Montreal Forum to watch his brother begin his career with the Canadiens. And by the time that Ari was eight, Rocket was scoring you know, 50 goals, becoming the first 50-goal-in-a-season man in the National Hockey League. So... Right. You know, a tremendous name, but, um, you know, lots of people say that Henri played his career in the shadow of the Rocket. I would argue that uh, he didn't, he was in no one's shadow, um, and mm-hmm. he was as proud as he was of the name. Uh, Henri never, um, never shied away from the fact that uh, he knew that uh, that name was going to always uh, be mentioned. Um, and, and anytime he was introduced or someone would meet him and say, are you... Uh, are you Rocket's brother? He would say, I'm Ari Richard. Uh, he would never say, uh, no, I am uh, I am Ari Richard. He would just say, I'm Ari Richard. So he never 
he, he understood, Ari certainly understood, uh, you know, how how incandescent a talent that the Rocket was. I mean, how incredibly special he was and how much he meant to the team. But they were really of a different time, too, because uh, Maurice Richard was, was really the lightning rod during a, a political revolution in the province of Quebec. Uh, yes. You know, with the, the Richard riot, uh, the French-Canadians uh, rising up against what they thought were, uh, you know, just being held under the thumb of, uh, of English Quebecers and of English Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocket would uh, carry not just opponents to the net, but he carried basically the entire province of Quebec on his back going to the goal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Ari never had to deal with that. But he was a, a small a small guy. He was 5'7", advertised at 160 pounds, but he was... Uh, he was a keg of dynamite. I would argue that uh, Ari was uh, was the better hockey player all around than Maurice. Maurice, from the face-off circle into the net, was probably the most formidable talent the league has ever seen. No one had a nose and, and eyes for the net like the Rocket did, uh, you know, from from the slot and from that area. But uh, Ari could do it all. He was a great leader. He worked the corners. Um, he he took uh, no prisoners. Uh, he suffered no fools. And he was a mm. tremendous talent, a very, very great, strong, powerful leader in that dressing room who just had to give another pl- another player just a, a look with his eyes or just raise an eyebrow, and they knew that uh, mm-hmm. they better perform because if a guy who's 5'7", 160 pounds, is going into the corner and running over opponents, uh, the bigger guys had better be putting, you know, giving 100 cents on the dollar or they would not be able to look not just in the mirror, but they would not be able to look in Ari's eyes and, and understand that they were you know, not doing as much as they should be doing. Certainly. Um, I have a question, and I'm just, uh, it, it only just came to mind now when you mentioned it, but with the Richard riot, um, how old was Henri during that? Henri would have been a junior by that point. I mean, he literally, uh, when, when you look at this, I mean, Richard, of course, was suspended with a handful of games left in the regular season in 1954-55 in season. Including the uh, playoffs, so I believe, the final right? few games. Yeah, sat out the final few games of the regular season and sat out the full playoffs. Uh, the Canadians did not win the Stanley Cup that year. So the next game that Henri, or that uh, Maurice would have played would have been the first game of the 1955-56 season. And uh, at training camp uh, going into that season in the fall of 1955, uh, Henri was a very good junior player with the Montreal Junior Canadiens. Henri brought him to the Montreal Forum and brought him into the office of Frank Selke, who was the general manager of the team, and said, uh, you should uh, be signing my brother to play. Hmm. And uh, with that, uh, Maurice turned on his uh, heel and just walked out the door. Now, Henri <laughs> barely, Henri basically almost, he, he almost did not speak a word of, of, of English. Um, some people joked that they'd almost never heard him speak French because he was so quiet, but wow. Frank Selke literally took a daytimer pad off of his desk that was a couple of years old, and by hand, he, he wrote out the contract, and um, Ari was signed for two years. He was signed for, uh, it would have been $7,000 the first year and $8,000 for the second year. And you think, okay, it's, it's chump change. If you put that into, into $2,020, yeah. it's about $67,000 and $77,000. So the Canadians certainly would have got mm. a bargain um, it was a two-way contract that uh, it was made clear that if he went down to the minors, he would be paid much less money. But Henri never did go down to the minors. Uh, and again, the first five years that he played, uh, he won the Stanley Cup. Toe Blake was coaching the Canadians, and he said from training camp, he said we had no we had no choice but to sign him because no one could take the puck away from him. When yeah. Henri was skating with the puck, uh, no one was going to take it away from him. So they signed him. 
and he became, uh, you know, a terrific talent uh, for the first five years of his career playing with Maurice. Um, they only they played briefly on a line together, but they were uh, they were teammates about 15 years apart. And then when the Rocket retired in 1960, Henri really did come into his own because um, it's not every single game that people were comparing the two of them and and saying, oh, here comes uh, here comes Henri, here comes uh, Maurice's little brother. Mm. Uh, he got to play and perform on his own, and then of course became captain of the Montreal Canadiens when Jean Beliveau retired in 1971 and captained the team for four years. So. He certainly was uh, a magnificent talent in in a lot of ways, and that's what uh, that's how people are remembering him now. But for for me, more than than the talent on the ice, uh, the time that I got to spend with Henri, and it was quite a bit. I mean, around the Bell Center and uh, at various shows and at the Hall of Fame and so on, he was a very very modest, humble guy. He never played the fame card. He never asked for a favor from the Canadians. He never asked to get his kids into the dressing room. He never asked for a free ticket. Uh, he just was a very modest, humble guy who always seemed a little bit embarrassed when people stood in front of him starstruck with their autograph books out and, and they babbled. They just couldn't speak because they were standing in front of such you know, an iconic talent. Uh, or he would try to put them at their ease and say, you know, hey, we put our pants on the same way, right? So he was he was very special with fans. And uh, while, while he wasn't the kind of guy who was as effusive and as as charismatic as, as the Rocket and as uh, Jean Beliveau in, in Mr. Beliveau's graceful, dignified way, Henri was very much a very strong presence, and we've missed him in Montreal the last number of years. He wasn't well enough to attend Mr. Beliveau's public visitation in 2014, and uh, we knew that his health was uh, was gradually declining. So, again, I hearken back to the, the start of our chat here that uh, as sad as it is that he's gone, it's, um, we were all very happy that uh, we had the years and, and the time and the memories of Mr. Richard that we all do. Certainly so. That's really something I was, um, I, I was hoping actually to ask you about um, some of the times that you did uh, spend with Henri because every, I mean, anybody that follows the NHL closely, especially the history and especially the history of uh, Le Canadien, uh, know Henri on the ice. But, um, you know, before... Um, before his health uh, started to uh, to fail him, um, what were some of the things that he that Henri was involved in uh, with with the Habs, or even just around the community when it comes to Montreal or even Laval at that? Well, he did a lot of things with the uh, the Montreal Canadiens Foundation. Uh, he was one of the ambassadors of the team for many many years. For a time, uh, the ambassadors the Canadians had included Maurice, they included Jean Beliveau, Ivan Cournoyer, uh, Henri. And Regin Ull, and uh, I can't say enough about the work that Regin does with the Montreal Canadiens alumni. He's been essentially the the director of the alumni foundation for I'm guessing at least 20 years, probably longer than that. And he really has a good sense of uh, what the Montreal Canadiens mean in the community, and he really takes very very good care of the alumni. If you have played one game or a thousand games with the Canadians, it doesn't matter. In the eyes of the in the eyes of the Canadians, you were a member of the family. And um, famously, yeah. I recall a couple summers ago, a gentleman who had played one game on defense mm-hmm. for the Montreal Canadiens many, many, many years ago. He only played one game. Uh, he passed away, and Regin took a day during the summertime when he was on vacation and drove, uh, you know, 30 or 40 kilometers out to the church to sit in the back pew and be there for this gentleman's funeral because mm. um, having played one game for the Montreal Canadiens meant so much to this man that his name was Don Johns that he actually had the Canadiens jersey on the altar. So, wow. you know, the things, oh, wow. that, um, 
Yeah, so the things that that, that Regent has done with um, with the Canadians, he was at the Jean Beliveau's side, and and certainly did everything that he could to uh, ease uh, you know the pragmatic situation, the pragmatic issues that that uh, Madame Beliveau, Elise Beliveau, was dealing with when Jean was in his final days. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with Elmer Locke when when Elmer wasn't well. Uh, in the last days of his life, uh, Regin was there, and uh, the Canadians just do those things right. So um, it's it's going to be another difficult time in the next uh, the next few days as the uh, Richard family plans a memorial service for Henri. They haven't announced the date of that yet, but my guess would be sometime, probably somewhere around the 16th or the 17th of March. Um, again, it, it'll be a tough thing, but uh, but Henri, lots of people who will be there will speak more about the fact that he was out in the community and that uh, they could show up at his home and ring the doorbell and Henri would have them in and sign autographs and go out sometimes and probably play road hockey with the kids on the street. Uh, he was a very approachable guy and as, uh, as, as shy almost and as modest and as humble yeah. as he was, uh, he was was huge, certainly in the community of Laval, north of Montreal, and in the city. Anytime he went anywhere, you had that very familiar gray hair. It looked like Henri was born at the age of 40. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like an old guy when he was a rookie, and he looked like an yeah. old guy when he played his last game. He always <laughs> joked about that, but mm-hmm. he was, you know, such a such a strong, powerful guy. He's a low center of gravity, and he was almost impossible to knock off his feet. So. Um, you know, there, there are famous stories about him. Uh, one game where I think he got into two or three fights in one game. He just took on the toughest guys who were out there, and that was one of Maurice's first concerns. That uh, in the first season, he said, "I just knew how Henri was going to stand up to guys who were going to be taking runs at him just because of his name." Well, he got into a fight with someone on the Chicago Blackhawks and acquitted himself very well. So uh, Maurice took a step back and said, "No, I think my brother's going to be just fine." Yeah. <laughs> And that was when they first started playing together is when they really became peers because Maurice had left home when Henri was so young. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the thing, I was speaking with Yvan Cournoy about this, and, and Yvan said, well, here's here's something. I mean, I was the sports editor of the Montreal Gazette for uh, for a number of years, and we had we ran a contest where the winner of the contest would, uh, would win a dinner at the Bell Centre uh, with uh, Maurice and Ari Richard, and I'd tag along and sort of be the escort for the night, and then we'd wow. sit up in one of the uh, suites. And halfway through the game, the, the winner sort of pulled me aside and said, are the Richard brothers fighting? Like, they haven't said a word all night. And I <laughs> sort of said, well, that's, you have to understand. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of, let's say you've got a brother or a sister who is 15 years your senior. I mean, you're literally of a different generation. Uh, mm. So... You know, once they their careers moved on, um, in would have been the early 1980s or so, Henri mm-hmm. was playing with the Montreal Canadiens alumni team, and Maurice was refereeing those games. And Yvan Cornway told me that they would ride from city to city in the back of the bus together, just sitting talking, and he said, that's when you really got the sense how close they were as brothers, even while they were playing, if they weren't necessarily that tight. I mean, the blood was always there, and they were always aware of that, and they always embraced it. And, in fact, when Maurice died of, of cancer in May of 2000, Henri uh, was absolutely devastated. Um, he was a pallbearer at his brother's funeral, and he understood, I mean, what a great loss it was, not just for the Montreal Canadiens or, or for the city of Montreal, but the province of Quebec and hockey generally. And I think, quite quite frankly, that Ari would be, knowing him as I did, he would probably be a little embarrassed uh, and be blushing a little bit by the amount of, of support and the outpouring of uh, 
of, of stories and, and respect and admiration and love that he's been shown in the last few days. The good thing about this, and it's one of the things that I try to do as much as I can working for the National Hockey League and the work that I do around the history of the game, is I like to celebrate these gentlemen and celebrate their lives while they're, while they're still with us. And then after they've gone, uh, just remind fans that you don't have a future or a present without a past. And um, the Canadians yeah. have a very rich past, and sometimes it's a little tough for fans to look at how great the team was when you figure that the Stanley Cup is now just a rumor to a whole generation of Habs fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, that said, I mean, uh, the Richard brothers were uh, right. I would put Henri... Uh, at the same level as I would people like uh, Guy Lafleur and Jean Beliveau and Maurice Richard and Howie Morenz. I mean, he is one of the greats of the greats, and uh, uh, he did not win 11 Stanley Cups by accident. None of those Cups were given to him. He earned every single one of them. He was never a fourth-line guy playing three or four minutes a game. He was in there, and he contributed to every single championship that that team won. Absolutely. Two Stanley Cup-winning goals, if I recall correctly, aside from, mm-hmm. as you said, the tremendous almost <laughs> uh, yeah tremendous effort that one would have to uh, put themselves through to accomplish a feat like that 11 rings really something else no he didn't have 11 rings because apparently for the first few years all he got was uh christmas turkeys huh? that's, that's exactly right they only started <laughs> yeah. doing rings later on and so Ooh. all the people who say that he didn't have enough didn't have enough hands <laughs> um, you know, for or enough fingers for his rings, we we laugh about that. Another thing that I loved laughing with with Henri about was that he was a leap year baby. He was born mm. on the 29th of yes. February, 1936, and I joked with him that he had won 11 Stanley Cups before he was actually 10 years of age. <laughs> uh, he always he always got a always got a kick out of that. So, in fact, only uh, only this past February 29th would Henri have, uh, he turned 21. So. Uh, Mm. Yeah. It's only uh, the last couple of birthdays has he been of legal drinking age in the province of Quebec. <laughs> uh, and in fact, he, he had his own tavern, too, in, in Montreal. Oh, and no. um, I'll be putting together a couple pieces for the NHL in the next uh, the next few days, the next over the next 10 days or so. And one of them will feature a photo of him standing behind uh, the bar of his uh, of his tavern uh, in Montreal back around Christmas time of 1960, I think. And mm. it's uh, there's just for me when anything like this happens, and I really start digging deeply into the files, I'm always amazed because uh, you find so many incredible photographs of these guys, and um, and you you look at the equipment and you you shake your head and you say, my God. These guys played wearing this stuff. I, I, I look at the yes. shoulder pads. When Ari took his sweater off, I mean, it looked like he just had a couple of uh, balls of, of cotton sort of like <laughs> lying on top of his shoulder. <laughs> you know, I know the game has changed. The speed has changed. The size of the guys have changed, all that. But still, I mean, when they went into the corners, uh, if he went in and mixed it up with guys like Ted Lindsay or Gordie Howe or right. any of these guys, I mean, uh, you knew that uh, that you were in a battle and, you know, whoever came out with the puck was not going to come out without uh, a few aches and pains afterwards. So, um, it's, um, yeah, it, it's 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 fascinating to just look back at, at the time that these guys played. I mean, the 11 Stanley Cups, uh, four all-star teams. He won the Masterton Trophy um, in what have been 1973-74 for perseverance and dedication to the game of hockey. Um, you know, just a tremendous, tremendous talent and just a heart, uh, a heart as, as big as a house. He just was, uh, for, if he weighed a hundred and if he weighed 160 pounds, 158 pounds of that was his heart because, uh, he wow. was a very, very special guy for sure on the ice. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned yeah, heart you were, of a lion. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, that you were putting together, um, 
a bit of a piece. Is this like a um, uh, an article that you're writing or something else? A couple, well, a couple different things. When uh, when he passed away, um, I wrote uh, essentially. There's an appreciation that ran on NHL.com, and it's yes. sort of a, a full, broad, sweeping look at his life and and his family and first contracts and what he did with his career. I spoke with Ivan uh, Cornway and Guy Lafleur that afternoon, and they gave me some interesting insight into into this. I mean. It was so funny. I mean, Lafleur, when he broke into the NHL, of course, uh, he breaks in just around the time that Jean Beliveau is retiring, and here he comes, this uh, this uh, this crackerjack junior coming in from the Quebec Rempart who had been lighting up the QMJHL, and everyone expected him as a French Canadian to step in and fill the skates of Jean Beliveau. Well, no one's going to do that. I mean, no. I don't care who the player is. I don't care if it if it would have been Gilbert Perrault or if it would have been Marcel Dion. I mean, no one in that those days ever would have stepped into Phil Jean's skate. So anyway, I guess Lafleur gets off to a reasonably slow start in his career, and he's rooming for about the first half of his first season with Henri Richard. And mm-hmm. um, Henri finally pulls him aside and says, listen, do yourself a favor, and whatever Scotty Bowman's telling you, just ignore him. Just, like, play your own game. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and, and Scotty has laughed about that, too, because he said for all the systems that he had, for all of the different things that he had, for all of the different, you know, plays that he had worked out for the team, he knew that Guy Lafleur was an artist, and he was going to go yeah. out and do whatever he was going to do himself. And Lafleur laughed. He said, when I told Henri, okay, that's what I'll do, he said Ari had some fights with Scotty Bowman about that, but he said it turned out pretty well because Lafleur, of course, wound up being Guy Lafleur. So, mm-hmm. and and you know, Cournoyer, his first captain of the National Hockey League was Jean Beliveau, and his second captain was Henri Richard. And uh, I said, did you, did, how, what did you pick up? And he said, well, how can you not learn from those two guys? I mean, you're you're talking about one of the classiest uh, ambassadors that the game has ever seen in Jean Beliveau, who is a dear dear friend of Ivan's. And then someone like Henri Richard, who was cut from the same cloth, but a much smaller piece of that cloth. Hmm. And he said, you know, you're dealing with somebody who is just a tremendous talent and a guy who who just knows the game and, and will will literally will leave everything on the ice. Uh, he will never come back into the dressing room with an ounce of energy to spare. And you knew that whatever Henri had that night, he was going to leave out there. So... Uh, Ivan learned from from them. So, you know, you'd like to think that today's NHL player, as much as the game has changed, uh, the Canadians uh, would be well served if they could take a look at at the heart and the soul of people like Henri Richard and Ivan Cornway and Jean Beliveau and the Rocket. And, you know, as much as the game has changed and as much as, as the league has changed, uh, there are some things which uh, which which are really timeless, and that would be the qualities of, uh, of of committing to the game, and understanding what it means to be a member of the Montreal Canadiens. For Henri, the only thing that mattered in his life was not the number of Stanley Cup championships he won. As a boy, he wanted to play for the Canadiens, and he arrived with the team in 55-56, retired in 74-75 mm-hmm. with 1,259 games. 11 Stanley Cup championships, but he played his entire career in Montreal. And uh, Ivan Cournoyer was the same thing. Maurice Richard, the same thing. Jean Beliveau, the same thing. They played their entire careers for the Canadians, and they played not for the name on the back, but for the crest on the front of that jersey. Absolutely. And it's so fundamental. I think that um, as much as the league has changed and and everything around it has changed, um, that uh, the Canadians... uh, are trying to remain old school, quote unquote, in that way, uh, to remember that 
the ch is is what matters and um even yeah, i think that humility might be a little bit overrated but it's just it's it's part of the, the, the mindset or the, or the quality of the person that you're um, recruiting to be on your team to just to have that sort of front of mind. And the Richard brothers certainly did. And Monsieur Bellevaux certainly did. And I, I think it still has weight even now today. No, ab- no, absolutely right. And and you know what? There are lots of players who really get it. When they walk into that dressing room and you look up and you see the Hall of Famers, you look at the photographs of the, the gentlemen who have played for the Canadians and won, uh, won awards, won Stanley Cups, the guys who were in the Hall of Fame, and you step out onto the ice at the forum and you look up at those banners. Um, you know, again, it's uh, the Canadians are a long way removed from the Stanley Cup, and mm-hmm. there's the joke, and I've, I've I've mentioned this many times during that the Canadians' run of their four consecutive cups from '76 through '79. Um, it was the mayor of Montreal, Jean Drapeau, who issued a press release in the middle of that yeah. one that just said the Canadian Stanley Cup parade will follow the usual route. And he wasn't being cocky. He wasn't being flippant about it. But no. he just knew. I mean, I I knew as um you know as as a, as a late teen in those days. I mean that, hey, you just you knew basically by about the third weekend in May or the third week in May where you would be standing if you wanted to go to the Stanley Cup parade. You knew if you went to the corner of Peel and St. Catherine by a certain time, or you went to Atwater and De Maison of the Montreal Forum where the parade organized, you would get to see your heroes. Uh, you know, going by in convertibles with a confetti. And um, it's, um, again, the league has changed. I mean, yes, the Canadians would, would win, I mean, so regularly when they won the the four or the five consecutive from 56 to 60, then not again till 65. In his autobiography, Jean Beliveau wrote, I'm glad that our five-year drought is over. <laughs> well, <laughs> your drought, right? I mean, you know, well, okay, we're talking now what from 1993, and uh, it will it will be another year this spring, and uh, who knows how long it might be before the Canadians are really a serious contender for the cup again. But um, no, it's uh, it was a delicate thing too during the Canadian centennial year in uh, in 2009, where you know the team was. Yeah, where, you know, they, they trotted out as much of this great history and the great championships that the, the Canadians had, and it was a double-edged sword. I mean, fans absolutely loved it. They said, my God, look at the heroes we had, and then they were just, the, the reminders were painful that here's where the team is today. Um, but, again, I, 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 don't, I don't have a problem in celebrating your past. I think that uh, the Canadians did it very well in that year. I think they're trying to be a little more careful with that now. They don't want to be so much in the face of fans, uh, you know, with with passing the torch and and doing some of these things. They still use the torch, uh, you know, for the the home opener. Yeah. But I think they understand that, you know, that fans, um, you know, literally, I mean, the fan base now, I mean, more fans have, have never seen a Stanley Cup than than did see one. And so you don't want to keep reminding them of what was when the team looks down on the ice and they see that, uh, you know, come the, uh, the start of April, the team is going to be out of the playoffs again this year. So it's, uh, it's, it's a, a, a tight rope that they walk. But, um, you know, the, when you're around the alumni, when you were around Yvan Cournoyer and, uh, and Guy Lafleur, and when we were around Henri Richard and Jean Beliveau and Maurice when he was here, they always spoke very highly of the team. Dickie Moore was another one. They spoke highly of the team. They spoke how much it meant to them. And they would just would hope that the the modern player would understand the same thing that they would play 
not just for themselves and for the paycheck, but they would play for each other and that they would play for the fans. And um, Ted Lindsay famously in Detroit said, I didn't play for any owners. I didn't play for any coaches. I played for the fans. And I think that's the way Mm -hmm. some of the the greatest of the greats of the Montreal Canadiens, they always understood that they were the people that you were playing the game for and everything else fell into place. If you were performing for them, then you were doing what you had to do. Yeah. And there does seem to be, there is understandably a lot of bitterness among the fan base for, uh, you know, the glory days that used to be for the Montreal Canadiens, but it's a different era. And uh, Steve Shutt was actually on Mitch Melnick's show the other day talking about um, Henri Richard and talking about uh, the way the league is today and how the Habs used to be. And he said, you know, it's, it's a different thing now. There's 31 astute general managers and businessmen who are running these teams and ideally um, NHL fan bases will understand that, you know, uh, odds are that you're going to win unless you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, you're going to win the cup every 31 years. Yeah. And And that's the way it is now. It's a global game now too. You know, in in those days, I mean, Sammy Pollock, the general manager of the Canadians would pick the pocket of other general managers. I mean, that's how we got Guy Lafleur. I mean, yeah. The scouting departments are so big now. There are scouts literally deployed around the world. I mean, you look at uh, at how teams draft. I mean, the Canadians have, what, 14 picks for, for the yeah. 2020 draft, which would be held in Montreal. So, you know, fans have high hopes. But, uh, you know, I, you speak, I was speaking to Guy Lafleur the other day, and he said, look, if, if, two, if two guys, um, you know, kind of make your team out of 14 that you're drafting, then, you know, that's not a terribly bad thing because uh, drafting is mm-hmm. as, as precise as scouts would like it to be. It's still an inexact science. You cannot measure the size of a man's heart, yeah. and you cannot take into account, I mean, injuries and various things that happen. Um, there are all kinds of variables that are part of this equation, and so you like to think that you're going in and you're making the right draft picks based on what your needs are, and because you have you have done your homework and you've chosen the people that, that you want and you've you've traded and you've you've moved um, through the draft order wisely and and you know maybe it's a good draft year and you hope that um, you'd like not to depend on the lottery but I mean that doesn't hurt either when you're one of the teams in in the draft lottery so Steve Shutt had a very good point and there are there are just so many things that have changed about the game um, you know it, I, it, talking with Lafleur he said. You know, we had Henri saying we have to win the Stanley Cup this year, or it's or the year's a failure. He said uh, it's not a matter of we have to make the playoffs this year. And most of the Montreal Canadiens during those days too lived in and around the city of Montreal, so they were on the streets every day, and they had to answer to the fans. The siren will still be will still be echoing, uh, you know, at, at uh, the Air Canada Scotiabank Arena, rather in Toronto, the Canadians' last game, and these guys are going to be jumping on airplanes, uh, you know, heading out to their off-season homes. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Canadians of yore would be around town, and Lafleur said there was nothing worse than walking down St. Catherine Street if you had failed in the playoffs or you had not won the cup, because you you felt the eyes of the fans burning through you, and um, yeah. you know, fans are very passionate today. 
and uh, the, the, just the entire way the game is observed is different too now with, with you know, with talk radio, with podcasts, mm. with, with, you know, literally it's around the clock. In Montreal, we joke it's 13 months of the year. <laughs> and I'll turn on, you know, turn on talk radio in August and you hear fans arguing who should be playing left wing <laughs> yeah. on the Canadian second unit of the power play and saying, really? <laughs> At some point, <laughs> go outside and get some sun, you know, and go yeah. for a swim. I just like, you know, don't worry, the ice will freeze and, you know, you'll have lots of time to talk about that. But <laughs> that is the passion of Montreal Canadiens fans. And I always get a kick out of seeing um, so many different arenas around the NHL and the Canadians score a goal, you'd swear that it's a home game. Um, Habs fans yeah. will travel to Ottawa because it's cheaper for them and easier for them to get a ticket uh, to go to Ottawa to watch a game there. The Habs score, and I mean, there's this explosion of noise. Toronto is the same thing. I mean, there's still lots of expat Montrealers living in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Florida, the snowbirds who go down to uh, to Sunrise and go down to uh, Tampa, I mean, the Habs have a tremendous following there. So, um, hey, I saw a Montreal Canadiens jersey on the Great Wall of China. Oh, my goodness. Wow. The Beijing Olympics. And, you know, you just say, you know what? Yes, this is a global brand. And I think everybody understands that. So... Um, there's nothing, there's nothing finer in in Canada, certainly, well, from my part of the, the the country, than having healthy teams in Montreal and Toronto because that was a tremendous rivalry when it was good. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I guess realignment of the NHL and the way the way the league um, just just changed and and the fortunes of the teams changed. Um, these guys, I think, have only played each other 15 times in the playoffs their yes. entire professional lives, and it hasn't been since '79. I mean, um, yeah. if there would have been any reason that I would have wanted Don Cherry still to be on Hockey Night in Canada, would have been oh. to see a Toronto Maple Leaf Montreal Canadiens <laughs> playoff series and watch Don spontaneously combust on the set. <laughs> so, so we'll see. Well, I mean, a lot of stuff has to happen. Uh, it won't be this year again. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's great to see the, the, the passion of, of fans, certainly in Canada, to see how passionate the fan base is. Uh, you know, in Calgary, in Winnipeg, in Edmonton, in Vancouver. It's just great to see. And it was a few years back that Canada did not have one team in the playoffs. Yes. And I think I had to write the piece for NHL.com, and the editor headlined it, Woe Canada, and that oh. wasn't mm. far from the truth. So happy yeah. we won't be talking about that this year, but um, to, to have the Canadians back and, and to, to, to get to get them with, with a bit of a head of steam again and get them competitive, get them into the playoffs, is good for not just the city of Montreal and everyone who depends uh, on the Canadians to be a strong team uh, from the economic base here, but mm-hmm. uh, it's certainly good for hockey and good for the league because uh, the Canadians are still uh, one of those teams that uh, you, you think is, is gold standard might be a little bit of a strong phrase, but uh, they're, they're certainly one of the teams, the oldest team in the NHL, the most successful team in the NHL, and to have them playing well, playing strongly, and being competitive is a good thing, I think, for everybody. Well, I won't argue that at all. No. I think we're close. <laughs> I think we're close. Close, close. Now we are. I remember, um, yeah, when uh, when Michel Lacroix was on um, a few months yeah. ago, he said that the Habs, probably not this season, we were uh, speaking to him just before this season, he said two years Two years and yeah. we might have something special, and uh, it's looking like uh, Monsieur Lacroix is correct <laughs> in that assessment. But um, yeah. So, well, we didn't want to keep you all night, uh, Mr. Stubbs. Um, and I'm wondering um, if the ladies have uh, any other questions for you. 
For me, I just thought, I, I, I wondered, you know, dovetailing on what we were just talking about, what do you think about the next few years for the Habs? Well, it's not like there's a ton of stuff down on the farm, right? And that's one of the things. I mean, you have some teams that just have this incredibly rich uh, base of talent that just sort of flows up from the American Hockey League and, and comes from down below. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about needing the young guys to play. There's some good youth that is coming with this team. Uh, the window of opportunity for guys like Carey Price and Shea Weber is uh, the window is not getting any, it's not opening any more widely. Uh, mm. You know, I think that, that Carey Price, even before the start of the season, spoke to that. He said, you know, I'd really like to kind of do something here uh, before time gets too far along. Uh, Shea Weber has, has given the Canadians everything they possibly could have expected in the dressing room, mm. certainly. I mean, he's been a great uh, leader. I think he's a terrific choice for a captain. Um, yeah. You know, I think that, you know, that we'll have to see how this year's draft goes and see how they can develop people. I mean, you know, there's great talk about Cole Caulfield. There's great talk about, you know, some of the guys who are uh, Yemi, What is he going to be able to bring back uh, up here? Ryan Paling. I mean, what are we going to see from him? So there's there's some there's certainly some good talent that's that's in the pipeline. There's not an unlimited flow of it. But um, we'll see how the Canadians draft this year, and I think the Canadians will never have had a draft that will be as, as scrutinized as this year's will be, yeah. especially being in Montreal. Yeah. Um, you know, that Bell Centre is going to be packed, and uh, you, know, um, you know that the fans are going to want to see some, some good names drafted, and, and the team will certainly do its homework. Uh, but, you know, talking with Shea Weber at the golf tournament last September, he said, you know, we came so close last year. We, we got to the last weekend, and, you know, we just fell a couple points short. We just need everybody to be a little bit better. Just need everyone just to – we need to pick up a couple more points here. Well, I mean, when you figure that you're swept by the Detroit Red Wings, uh, who would be, you know, 32nd at the league if there was a 32nd mm. team, uh, you know, it, it's a tough deal. I mean, they, they lost some games that they certainly should have won. Uh, Carey Price wasn't necessarily stealing them the games that he traditionally would steal. He's not been awful. Uh, Carey's been very good, but he's not been sort of the brilliant Carey Price that the team has and pretty much needs. Um, I don't know what the team will do once we get on the other side of the season. I know that fans were desperately hoping that they would do something big at the trade deadline. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think that there was any one piece no. that they were going to get who was going to put this team over the over the the hill. No, um, you know, and do you want to mortgage your future and strip your team of some of the good young talent to try to bring in one guy and sort of upset whatever chemistry there might be in the room with the hope that you might push them into the playoffs? I didn't. I never see the upside to that. So, you know. Um, We'll see now. I think that uh, it could be very interesting from, you know, the end of the season going towards uh, the 1st of July and unrestricted free agency. Uh, we could see uh, some interesting moves. We could see some guys leaving who we thought might have left uh, come trade deadline because mm -hmm. uh, Mark Bereshima is going to have his hands full with a bunch of contracts he's got to negotiate. And, um, you know, he, he knows. I mean, at some point, I mean, this leash on him is going to be getting, going to be getting tighter because... Uh, this team has underachieved uh, for too long in this city, and this is a this is a town that has been patient. And he can preach, be patient all you like, but the fact remains that you know fans want to see something 
And Montreal Canadiens fans, I think, are to the point that I mean they're they're willing to suffer a bit of that short-term pain, um, you know, to see the team moving with some direction and with a plan in mind. But you know, the thing that that concerns me and concerns is maybe the wrong word, but we used to joke that Montreal Canadiens fans love, love their team win or tie, right? I mean, but <laughs> since we've had the shootout in overtime, you don't tie anymore. So the only yeah. thing worse than, than a crowd booing the Montreal Canadiens at home is when they're just kind of groaning, when they don't care. And apathy mm. is not a good thing. And empty seats are not a good thing at the Bell Centre. Uh, it used to be that you willed your season tickets to your grandkids well, now, I mean, you see a lot of empty seats in the Bell Centre, and the thing that's telling is that not only are some of these only you know, down in the, in the lower part of the bowl, but these seats are, are up high, and that's sort of the, the cheaper seats, if you will, that the average hockey fan who wants to scratch and save his entertainment dollars and take his kids to go to a game, uh, there are some empty seats up there, too, so... I think Jeff Molson understands that. The Canadians as a business understand that, and they know that they have to be better, um, you know, for everybody. I mean, for themselves and for the fans who cheer them and who buy the product and who buy the jerseys and, you know, are going to be there drinking the beer and eating the hot dogs at the Bell Centre. Uh, they need to be a better organization, and I think there will be some some pretty interesting uh, analyses and some pretty interesting exit meetings at the end of this season to discuss where they are, uh, where they've been, and where they have to go. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, a pretty interesting draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the off-season yeah, the draft is going to be fun. I remember, yeah. well, when was it? 2009, I guess, or Centennial, yeah. when Louis LeBlanc was the first draft pick, and I remember sitting there at the Bell Centre going berserk, I mean, because they thought that they had found the next great yeah. French-Canadian talent. Well, I mean, you know, the, the language issue was always going to be something here. Um, it got so crazy that, uh, that Gerard Gallant was through Montreal recently to, I guess, go to a Canadian immigration yeah. office to renew his green card <laughs> so he could, you know, continue to work in the States, and everybody figured he was here because... Uh, <laughs> You know, they were just about to put Claude Julien on ice and, and, and ship him out of town. So, you know, you, you can't, you literally, I mean, I always keep in mind that the root of the word fan is fanatic. And um, and, and there are people who, for a living, uh, are observing the Canadians and commenting on it um, in public uh, in public forums, uh, be it radio, TV, whatever. And, and they need to provoke conversation, and sometimes it gets a little crazy. And that's fine too. That's all part of the passion of the of the team. But um, you know, uh, heaven forbid. I mean, if a guy uh, if a guy goes through a car wash the wrong way in this city, um, the fans will be going crazy, and there'll be pictures on Instagram and, and yeah. Twitter. And it's it's <laughs> it's a very very different place. I'm sure it's crazy in Toronto too. But I mean, Toronto has other distractions. They've got the Raptors and everything else. And God bless the Montreal yeah. Impact here and the other teams that play in Montreal. But uh, the Alouettes, but they're all kind of just picking up the crumbs that the Canadians leave behind, and uh, the Habs know that. And so, um, as I say, it, it'll be a very interesting off season because they've got to do some something to uh, approach next season and be a stronger team coming out of the gate and show some consistency. And my gosh, they have to be better at home because this year at home has been just Ooh. just a bad dream, I think, for a lot of people. Mm. They've just not played well at home, and you cannot do that in this city. No. That's right. All points considered. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Um, I have so many I just questions. To say, but, oh, sorry, Beth. Go ahead. 
um, that I really enjoy all of your writings oh. um, on all platforms, but I especially enjoy your Instagram. Um, it's like a little anthology of different, mostly hockey related stories, but just like different stories. And it's just really fun. Um, if nobody's, if people have not gone through his Instagram, you're missing out. Like it's, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, like when I remember when I took a creative writing class one time, we were all assigned a picture and we had to write a short story for it. And your Instagram reminds me of that just a million times better. So thank you for that. it's fun. You know, I, I, I always try to just find something a little different. And, you know, for me, I've, hey, I grew up playing hockey uh, very badly well, with wide feet, high arches. Uh, my skates were either too tight that I had cut off my circulation or they were so loose that I, was, I needed my ankles sharpened. Uh, so outdoor oh, no. rinks have a great appeal to me, and there are lots of nice ones uh, in my hometown. So I enjoy getting out and, and taking pictures of some outdoor rinks. And then if you put together a couple paragraphs that maybe just kind of ring a little bit of a bell for people or just, you know, it, it's more just kind of um, with all of the, the stuff that I have to do on Twitter and the stuff that I share on Facebook. Facebook is largely for linking a lot of NHL work that I do. Uh, Twitter mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, doing the, the moments in history and that uh, Instagram is more kind of for myself. It's uh, I, I love photography. And I just like finding things that are just a little bit different and, uh, and just a little funky maybe. And it's, uh, it's fun to share that. And the reaction and the comments that I hear from people, uh, it's very gratifying. So it's, it's fun. It's, it's an engagement with the fans. And I, I love doing that. I mean, I love engaging with fans and talking with them. And um, the funny thing is, I mean, when I worked with the Montreal Gazette, I used to be absolutely roasted by Boston Bruins fans because, I mean, they just would think that, you know, I was a total and complete raving idiot. And, I mean, how dare you? <laughs> you should, you know, oh whatever keyboard you're on. And and then I joined the NHL <laughs> and I started to do a couple things on the Bruins and I had one guy actually comment to me. He said, you're not as big of an idiot as I thought you were. Uh, <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> thank you. That's, I guess that's high praise, right? So <laughs> so it's fun. I mean, I go I go to places where I was absolutely the, the enemy. I mean, you know, and, you know, Philadelphia was an Another one. I mean, Flyers fans thought that I mean they wouldn't wipe their feet on me, and then suddenly mm-hmm. I'm talking about Bobby Clark and Bernie Perron and and Dave Schultz and you know celebrating you know the careers of of, of people like the Terry O'Reillys and and guys like this. Mm-hmm. Johnny Busick is one of my best friends in hockey, and I mean, I hated the Chief when he was playing with the Bruins because I was a Habs fan growing up. And now I mean, I go to Bruins games. I'm sitting in the Bruins alumni lounge having a beer with him, telling stories and listening to him. It's uh, I pinch myself because Amazing. it's. Uh, yeah. I like the joke. I said it could be a lot worse. I could be working for a living because uh, what I do is just, uh, it's great fun. And, uh, and that thank you. It's, um, I'm glad you enjoy it because I have a great, uh, great deal of fun uh, doing Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter. It's all, uh, it's all a great, uh, great enjoyment for me. It's very, very fun. Thank you so much. And uh, that would be Dave dot Stubbs on Instagram. And it's a worthy follow just as a, as Beth mentioned, some really incredible shots and incredible stories with each of these shots. Very excellent time. Yeah, yeah. I think as for myself, um, yeah. Well, thank you, Mr. Stubbs, for coming on. Veronica, do you have anything? I think. Uh... I just wanted to say, Dave, we intend to be at the draft, so it would be it would be nice to get a coffee with you. Absolutely, I'd look forward to that, Veronica. That'll be great. So you're coming in on mass? Are you coming in to? Um... On mass, um, on mass, yes. On mass, and I'm risking a wedding to go to this. So, <laughs> yes, 
<laughs> okay then. So, Not your own. So we should get a get a few extra hot dogs thrown on the Bell Center grill then since there you guys are coming is. in. It's that easy. It's that yes, easy. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. No, we would no we're we're planning on coming together, yes. Hopefully we'll have the snow off the road for you by then. I'd like to think. <laughs> yes. and I, I kind of I kind of joke that uh, there's so much construction in Montreal. The reason the Canadians haven't won the Stanley Cup all these years is because St. Catherine Street has been under construction for the last 20 years and they couldn't <laughs> hold a parade anyway. So. Mm-hmm. That's, That's my right. Story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> but no, this has been absolutely great. I know that you probably didn't plan on having me on for uh, for an hour, but it's uh, it's a delight talking to people who uh, who enjoy thank you so much enjoy the game thank and have you. a sense of the uh, the Canadians and, and the history of the of this team and uh, you know have the passion and want the team to do well as I do too because it's it's always more enjoyable to go down to the dressing room uh, you know when the team is doing well mm-hmm. than to go in and do uh, mm-hmm. you know harvest of the same cliche as well you know we got to be better and we'll have to look ourselves in the mirror I mean you can write some of this stuff before you ever get into the room so right. yeah it's been a learning experience for a lot of these guys and they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger hopefully that will make this montreal canadians team the core that will still be here next season will make them stronger and they'll all learn from it so we'll see but no i certainly look forward to uh, to seeing you all at the draft and uh, uh i'm sure that uh, between uh, now and then uh, canadians fans will continue to engage they will continue to uh to solve all the problems of the team, they will continue to draft the best players, yeah. trade for the best players. Uh, oh, everybody has all the answers, right? That's the joy of being a hockey fan. Yes, yes. <laughs> Couldn't have put it better myself. Okay, well, uh, again, Mr. Stubbs, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Uh, we look very forward much. to everything that you contribute to the NHL, uh, to La Canadien, and just personally, your own. Um, your own staple on sports in general is uh, well received and greatly respected. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely. Thanks so much for Thank having you. me. I really appreciated you uh, reaching out. Call me anytime. Will do. Thanks again. Yes, you so much. Will do. And there it is. I'm going to have to cut some of that. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in you. Oh, that's and okay. You're- Okay, 50. Yeah, just the inside inside stuff. Just the yeah. um yeah, uh our first goodbye and then everything yeah. because he didn't say anything about the <laughs> that shouldn't come out. No. At all. No. 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 No, nothing at all. <laughs> anyway, um so uh yeah, we are literally really in like the last 5 minutes of the podcast now and uh <clears throat> what else can we say? Oh my lord, Mr. Stubbs, what a wealth he is. What an incredible, incredible person. I mean, of course, we we hear his voice in the tribute videos to practically every player. This is the go-to guy for the NHL when it comes to these momentous occasions or incredibly sad occasions I forgot to ask him if he was wearing a bow tie. Son of a... Damn it! (laughs) Nailed it. You can ask him when we post it. Just put it... Just when you at him, just be like, were you wearing a bow tie? That would be the name of the episode. No, no, we have to... No, be a little no, serious no, no. about the name of the episode but yeah, yeah um man Henri Richard what a what a what a monolithic figure and um as much of a monolith as uh, Jean Beliveau before him and of course Maurice and I forgot how long it was how long it has been since uh, Maurice um left us as well I forgot all about that yeah but um so well We've spoken a lot about uh, Henri. Um, I guess uh, we can try to wrap up then the last week of Habs news in three minutes. Sure. Okay. 
Um, the Habs go a uh, one and two uh, against the Islanders, Tampa Bay, and Florida. Great game against the Islanders. Holy cow! What a what a freaking yeah, they just flummoxed them six to two. Hello, I think Sha that was the game that Shaw Houdon got his first goal in like forever as well. Yes, good for him. A an incredible yes. shot. Where did that come from? Yes. From the high slot top <laughs> corner? Thing was moving a mile a minute. Incredible, incredible work He had there. just hopped on the ice, I yeah, believe. Yeah, exactly. And he was on the yeah. ice, I think, with, like, said, Brandon Gallagher. Hello, I'm here. Exactly. Hello, my name is Charles. <laughs> my name is Charles. Carry the wind. <laughs> um, so, um... <laughs> My name, My name is, Charles. is Chuck, and I shoot the puck. Da, 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 yeah, he, he shoots the puck instead of catches the puck. Then, of course, yeah. um, the trouncing at the hands of the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is like, well, it is the Tampa Bay Lightning, but... And then they lost to lost Detroit. To Detroit. <laughs> Tampa Bay lost to Detroit. Yeah. To clarify. Was in relation to... Now, 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 here's something about that uh, that shutout. Uh, against in Tampa, it's the first time this season the Habs have been shut out. I know. Was it really? I looked it That's up. That's what I thought when I heard it. It is true, <laughs> and it's true. We've lost so many one goal games. People so forget about that. So many one goal yes, games. Yes, yes. Oh, the Lightning lost to the Red Wings in shootout. Okay. So they right. got a oh they got a point against the Red Wings. Good for them. Yeah. Anyway, then the game uh, in Sunrise against the Panthers, and that was a that was another egg laid, unfortunately. Um, not saying that the Habs. Jake are... Evans scored. Jake Evans did score. God bless him. Great fourth God liner. Bless him back at one. Ought to be probably a third liner at some point, but I don't know. So uh, another uh, thing to consider with all this is that against Tampa Bay, the Habs did not have Tatar or Gallagher. Their first line was no. a hodgepodge of Deneau and the Finnish boys, Lekkonen and Armia. <laughs> and apparently Lekkonen didn't stay on the top line for all that long because he was replaced by Byron in the later half of the game. Um, so the blender was in full effect. Also, they were rolling, rolling lines for that particular game because Carl Alsner was playing as a seventh defenseman. So that entire game was a smorgasbord of of experimental line combinations just to figure out who could go where at any point in time. Um, aside from that, uh, Lucas Vedemo was called up. Uh, okay. He hasn't uh, contributed too much, um, but he's been on the fourth line with Evans and Weiss. Um, it's currently, uh, what else is going on? Uh, Tatar injured, upper body, suffered in, uh, long, in, uh, against um, Long Island. The Islanders, uh, and he's still being evaluated. I don't know if he's going to be in the lineup tomorrow. Um, Kotka Niemi, that's a big story, uh, has himself a splenic injury, and apparently splenic is a word. Yeah, it is. So <laughs> apparently something happened of to his spleen. spleen somehow, some way, and that's um doesn't sound comfortable. It's not. It's the opposite. Um, yes, thank you, doctor. Having known somebody who spent a couple of months, the entire summer in the hospital after having a splenic injury, it's not—it's no party. Oh my uh, lord! I thought this was like an appendix type of thing. Apparently not. No, 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 no. It's 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 no fun whatsoever. And apparently, he had been hunted down all game in that mm. fucking AHL. Oh, sorry, in that league where they, you know, 
they they have fun hurting other people and yeah it's a meat grinder yep it's a meat grinder um i'm glad uh i I was glad to hear mark bridgman saying on saturday that he's going to be fine um he's it's going to be a while but he's going to be fine but this is no party that he's about to go through so it's just it's just a, a a bad um sort of footnote to his season three injuries and after he was playing extremely well in the AHL so that was a bit of a bummer but he's a good tough kid and he'll get through it but it it won't be fun no are you there at all yeah yeah okay yeah sorry our sweet baby eagle holy crap so what? wait up a second. Let me double check the schedule here because I just read this on Twitter. Oh, about about uh, San Jose. Yeah, all games at San Jose have been canceled. Jesus. Coronavirus. Fucking Christ. Just canceled? Well, that's what they're they're saying. It's canceled apparently. Wow. Oh. It's, well, it says. Bans um, all large gatherings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ban will apply for the to month cetera, of cetera, March. And so, what are they? So, are they going to prolong the season? Well, they might. Or does it not matter? Because they, they... probably just won't have people <laughs> at the game. That's what I was wondering because the games will continue. There just won't be fans. fans. Anyway, um, as everyone knows, uh, Jess has six S. Jess Habs uh, would just finished packing because she was uh, going to go to that trip. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh no! You know what? I can't talk about concerned. it on. I cannot talk about it on the podcast, unfortunately. Nope. Um, nope. Uh, so you aside can't. from that, Habs wise, um, thank God for uh, David Stubbs uh, for uh, coming on with us and sharing his experiences and uh, his knowledge. And um, yeah, we're gonna have a an interesting rest of the hockey season with this uh, outbreak happening because it's getting more and more real. And that's all I got to say about that. But at this point in time, um, I don't think there's anything else that has related news that we can really mention. Two losses, a win. Drouin did skate at practice this morning. Just in time to get the coronavirus. Oh, God. David. Yeah, I know. But hey, at least the media at least the media can't uh go into the locker rooms anymore. Yeah, I know. Yeah, That's I love so that. Funny. This well, this needs I mean, its own it's podcast. Better for everybody. Yeah. Especially since our guest next week will have first hand knowledge of that oh, yes. experience. Stay tuned, happy hour <laughs> listeners. Oh boy. Ah. <sighs> I think we got. I, I think Our we got to close this one up. I think we gotta. We gotta close this one up. What? I said our eyes and ears on the ground. <laughs> it's true. All right, bye. <laughs>